Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, we're thankful for each one that is here this day. We ask now that each part of this service would be done looking to you to honor and glorify your name. Lord, we're thankful that your name is above every name. We're thankful that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the conqueror of death and hell, and Lord, you have paid the price for our sins with your own blood. We ask that we would take this time this morning and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may. And we want to take some time this Sunday morning just to look a little differently maybe at the response of the resurrection. Acts chapter 4 was... Uh, several weeks, possibly a couple of months after uh, the Feast of Pentecost, after the preaching of the disciples. Uh, Someone uh, has mistakenly put in the history books that Jesus started his church on the day of Pentecost. That's not true. Jesus added to his church on the day of Pentecost, and the disciples had healed a man in the temple. They were called in for an examination before the Pharisees. And their answer to these men was, look at verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge me, for judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all the men glorified God for that which was done. Now, here is Peter and John standing before the most learned men of all Judaism alive in the world today, assembled there in the city of Jerusalem to uh, guide and to lead in the temple. And you just have to get the picture here. It's an amazing thing that these ignorant, common, uh, we would use the word blue-collar workers, uh, people who just worked with their hands and and got dirty. I mean, they were fishermen. How many of you have passed a fish market? Uh, you always know when you're passing the fish market now, don't you? Hello? Are you awake this morning? I mean, you know when you're passing the fish market. And if you think the fish market smells bad, you ought to be at the boat where they catch them. And they put them in there and they keep the bad ones and throw them away. And uh, the, the ones that really stink never make it to the store. Amen. And, and that was Peter and John. That was their living. They did not go to college. They, in, in our modern time, if we were to liken them, these guys had never finished high school. And here they were in this council of very educated men, and they're looking up at them as they were standing there, and these Pharisees and scribes and the chief priests were all seated around them. And they said, 
whether it is better for us to disobey you and obey God, you judge. Now, you know the answer to that question. If I have a choice between obeying God and disobeying everyone else that's alive, the choice is made. Because there is only one God. Amen? They threatened them. They couldn't punish them because what they had done, they had taken a man who was lame and made him walk in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, just one quick aside, because this is not the main point of our message this morning. When the disciples healed someone, who became the center of the argument? Jesus Christ. When we have all these guys running around and ladies running around claiming to heal people today, who is the center of the discussion? The faith healer. That's how you can tell the difference between the fakes and the real. Now, that was free. has nothing to do with the sermon this morning. But just something to put in your hat to think about as we go through life. If somebody does something truly for God, who gets the glory? God does. If someone is doing something trying to draw attention to themselves, guess what? It's not from God. Now, these men had done this, and in verse 23, it says, In being let go, they went to their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Now, verse 28, I want you to pay special attention. For to do whatsoever thy hand... And thy counsel determined before to be done. Did you get that? Let's read that again. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. Now, that's the end of their prayer. But I want you to look at how the disciples viewed the events of Jesus' suffering, his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. They go back to Psalm 2, and they begin to quote this psalm that was written by David. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? And they say, listen, these words were fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. But here's what happened. Herod, Pontius, 
with Pilate, with all the Gentiles, the Roman government. And look what it says here. And the people of Israel were gathered together. If you were to read a history book of the life of Christ, here is most of, of what most history books would say. What most history books would say about Jesus was that he was a great teacher, but he upset the powers that be until they all came together and their combined power put him to death on the cross. Nothing could be further from the truth, my friend. Jesus was not a martyr. He was not a victim of circumstance. The cross was not an accident. It was planned before the foundation of the earth. God knew what it would take to pay the price for our sins before the first sin was ever sinned. And someone has wrongly gone in and said, you see... God planned it all, therefore He planned the sin too. No. God did not plan sin. But history is full of examples of human beings who have willingly submitted themselves to the power of evil that they might fulfill the Word of God. That was a big sentence. But it's true. You see, the history of mankind is made up of two groups of people. Those willing to submit in obedience to the words of God. And those who refuse to submit, but still find themselves obedient to the words of God. Let me give you an example of this. The Bible in John chapter 17, Jesus is on his way to Gethsemane. He stops to pray a short prayer before he gets there. And in that prayer, he says that he has kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me have I kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, talking about Judas, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Now, Judas... was not picked and chosen to do these things by God and not have a choice. Judas chose to be the one that betrayed the Lord. You say, well, how did Judas make that choice? Well, we know very little about the life of Judas, and we're not going to spend a lot of time trying to make things up and pretend that we know what went on when we didn't. But this we do know. When the woman anointed Jesus with the costly ointment, Judas was the one that spoke up with indignation and said, Why couldn't this have been sold and given to the poor? And the disciple John adds a little footnote there in his text. He said this, he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he bare what was in the bag. You see, Judas never thought he would be the one that betrayed Jesus. But he was going to be the one that enjoyed a little extra along the way. That's where Judas began to make his choice. That he would be the one 
that would fulfill the prophecies of Scripture that he would be the betrayer of the Lord. Do you realize how many people were involved in the suffering, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ? We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school. It, there were so many people involved that it was absolutely impossible to create a um, conspiracy to fraud or to lie about these things. It was, there was just too many different loose ends to tie up. If you're going to pull off something, if you're going to perpetrate a lie upon a group of people, the first thing you got to do is have a very small, very dedicated group. And then once it's all over, uh, the sooner the people in those group that perpetrated the lie die, the longer the lie lives. You, you got what we're saying here? Because as time goes on, people begin to feel bad about what they've done, and then they begin to tell the story. That never happened in the Bible because what happened here was true. These men came together, and they thought that they were going to get something done. Judas thought that somehow he was going to be profited out of this whole thing. In fact, the book of Zechariah, let me read the, the story, the verse here, Zechariah eleven thirteen. It says, And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was praised at of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast it to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now, these words were written by Zechariah as they were rebuilding the city of Jerusalem in the days of Zerubbabel, about 70 years after Jerusalem had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. So right now we're right around 500, 525 A.D. That's over 500 years before Jesus was born, these words were written. How many of you know what Judas did after he betrayed the Lord? As the sun comes up the next morning, he takes the 30 pieces of silver. He goes back to see the scribes and the Pharisees who had given it to him. He says, I betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, that's your problem, not ours. And he throws the money down in the temple. And the Bible says he goes out and he hangs himself. That tells us right there that Judas did not plan what he did. He was overcome by the guilt. He knew he had been used by the devil. And he had no hope of any life. And he despaired and killed himself. Now, some people take the story of Judas and try to teach that if you commit suicide, you're never going to heaven. And that's not in the Bible. But let me, let me explain this to you. Any person believing in Jesus Christ as their Savior has no reason to despair of life. Amen. He is the answer. He is the one who can save us out of any problem. And if you had approached... The twelve disciples, knowing what we know today, 
And you could have looked at them and you could have said, Now, Judas, you're going to be the one that betrays Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, the other 11 would have been his defenders. They would have protected. They said, Listen, that is not true. How could you say such a thing? But this is what happens in the lives of those who fight against God. You see, Judas... Because he was a thief, that tells us he wasn't satisfied with life now, doesn't it? That tells us he wanted a little more than he thought that he was getting. He deserved a little better than what life was giving him. Therefore, he was going to take it. And he was good at taking it. Nobody caught him. Nobody knew about this until after it was all said and done. But that Judas was only one small cog in the machinery that brought about all of these effects. How about the mocking and the scourging, the Roman beating by, at the hands of Pontius Pilate? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 53 for just a few moments. And I'm not going to try to be very long this morning, but I do want us to understand a few things, if we can, that... God's prophecy is going to be fulfilled. But you have the choice on which side of the prophecy you're going to end up. Now, let's look at Isaiah chapter 53. It says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry, uh, dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of man, men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely... He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Now, verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear 
their iniquities. Therefore will I divide with him, divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. If you do not believe in prophecy, I want to challenge you. This chapter that we have just read is a very difficult chapter for you. If you do not believe Isaiah chapter 53 is talking about the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not because you cannot read the words. It's because you've decided in your heart that you refuse to believe in Jesus as the Messiah of the Bible. There can be no honest conclusion reading these words that God had planned the suffering of Christ in the place of the guilty. Yet, I want, to look, I want us to take a moment and look at those who physically caused the suffering of Jesus Christ. It was Judas who betrayed him into the hands of the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and, and the Herodians. And they had all gathered together and they said, we're going to get this man. Now, why did they want to get Jesus? The religious leaders of his day. Would you turn with me just for a moment to John chapter 11? We could spend our whole time this morning just going over different reasons why these men would hate Jesus. But look at verse 49. We'll just read a few verses here. Verse 49 of John chapter 11. This was immediately after the resurrection of Lazarus. Some of the Jews that were there, the religious leaders, had gone a short journey from Bethany to Jerusalem. And they were holding counsel. And in verse 49, And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. Do you get what he just said? He said, it is expedient for us that this one man dies so that the whole nation doesn't perish. Look, go back to verse 48. It says, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. They said, if we leave this Jew alone... All men are going to believe on this Jew. And he's going to become the important one. And our temple is going to be destroyed and neglected. Therefore, the only way to save the temple is to destroy the Christ. These men knew exactly what they were doing. You read the rest of the prophecy of Caiaphas that he claims that Jesus would not die for that nation only. It says, verse 52, And not for that nation only, but also that he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. There had to be somebody 
And we've touched on this before, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it this morning. But you will hear people from time to time saying, the Jews crucified Jesus and Jesus rejected the Jews as his people. Let me tell you something, that is a lie. God has not rejected his people. He has allowed us Gentiles to partake of the blessings of God through the Scriptures. And if you're here today and you want to use this book as an excuse to hate Jewish people, let me tell you, you're lining up with Judas. You're not lining up with the Word of God. Don't go there. People make choices. Those choices determine your actions. These scribes and these Pharisees looked at themselves and they said, Now, who is more important, us or him? Well, you know the answer to that question. It's us. Wrong. It's Jesus. Amen. Jesus is what is important, but they partook of the mocking, the scourging. I, I wish we could take time this morning. In the Old Testament, the priest would lay his hand upon the sacrifice and he would confess the sins of the people on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. As Jesus was in the court of the Sanhedrin the night before his crucifixion, those same priests laid their hands on Jesus. They did not do so in a religious way. They blindfolded him. And they slapped him and they said, Prophesy thou Christ who smote thee. They were confessing their sins of unbelief as they laid their hands upon the sacrifice. And yet they were totally oblivious to everything they were doing. What I'm trying to say this morning is you are going to obey the Word of God. But the decisions that you make today, the decisions you have made yesterday, will determine what side of prophecy you're going to end up on. These men, if they had any idea who they were cursing, would have fallen on their knees and worshipped him. But they had long ago refused his testimony in spite of all the miracles that he had done. And so they had to make a choice. It is either Jesus or it is ourselves, and we will choose ourselves. And that's why they partook of the suffering of Christ. It took many, many people. Pilate, he was just doing what any Roman governor would do. He said, listen, I'll chastise him and let him go. How many of you know that a Roman beating was almost the same as a death sentence? And... Pilate thought he was being merciful. He says, I won't crucify him. I'll just beat him and let him go. 
Uh, by the way, did you know that in the Old Testament, the sacrifice before it was offered had to be flayed or cut into pieces? The Roman whip sliced the Savior. Not literally into pieces, but there were not to get too grotesque today. You know what? I don't know that you can with everything that's on TV, but Jesus' back was sliced open and bleeding. The crown of thorns did not poke little holes in his brow. It literally tore the flesh from his forehead. They had removed his beard one handful at a time. They had beaten his face until he almost didn't look like a human being. Do you think that's why Isaiah said he hath no form or comeliness? And that when we looked upon him, we would not desire him. It says that he was bruised for our transgressions, but we esteemed him smitten of God. We said, God, you're the one that's doing this. And yet it was human hands that made every mark upon the body of the Savior. We're here today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But I want you to, first of all, know prophecy, God's Word, must be obeyed. What side are you going to be on in the obedience of God's Word? Number two, I want us to understand there was real suffering. There was real pain. There was real hatred expressed on this day. When Pilate brought out Barabbas, he was the worst criminal. He was the lowest kind of people that, that the Jewish people knew. Every Jewish person despised the, the representation of Barabbas. And what Pilate was attempting to do, as far as we can understand, was he saying, now listen, you got a choice between this dirty, vile piece of human debris called Barabbas and Jesus. Now, which one do you want? I mean, Pilate was trying to save Jesus. He couldn't because the prophecy had to be fulfilled. But can you imagine the hatred and the venom that said, give us Barabbas? You know, give us Jeffrey Dahmer. And put the preacher in jail. That's what this was. The emotions that happened that day. Do you think the disciples, when they saw all of these things, they were so full of fear, they deserted the Savior. They were hiding. Only John came to the cross. And he was there long enough for Jesus to tell him to take Mary home and treat her like your own mother and take care of her. Every time I come to Easter, my blood just boils as I think of the blasphemous filth of that movie called The Passion of the Christ. Mary did not help Jesus. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was helping Mary. That's what the Bible teaches. Don't 
believe what you see on the screen. Believe what you read in the book. Amen? But when it was all said and done, the disciples were heartbroken. The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were still reeling with the adrenaline and the venom of their anger and their hatred expressed to this man. Judas had already succumbed to the passions of of his own body and had killed himself in a horrible way. But it wasn't over yet. Because Jesus appeared in the midst of them. Amen. They beheld him. And what does it say? Let's let's go to Luke chapter 24. I, I love the way that this is put in different Verse 36 of chapter 24 of the book of Luke. It says, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy, wondered, and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of an honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. Now I want us to go back to Acts chapter 4, and we're going to try to finish this up. Number one, God's Word must be fulfilled. Number two, the passions that are needed, whether they be dark and evil, or whether they be holy and righteous, are going to be supplied for you to be on one side or another of God's prophecy. But when it's all said and done, what we are going to see is going to be the glory of God. Acts chapter 4. You see, when it was all said and done, they were not saying Jesus was a victim of our chief priests and Pharisees. They were not saying Jesus had succumbed to the powers of the plotters. They said they all gathered together and the only thing they accomplished was the fulfillment of of God's Word and obedience to His Word. Then they said, Lord, let us speak Your Word with boldness. They were asking God to let them tell others about the message of Christ. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. 
Let me ask you a question. How many of you would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God today? How many of you would like to know the power of God in your life? Here's how you can know it. If you can tell others about Jesus with boldness. If you're going to tell others about the message of the Bible, I would suggest one thing. First, you better learn it yourself. Amen? First, you better know it well enough that you can tell people what the Bible says. We go into most churches today, and if you were to hand a Bible to the average person and say, explain to me the, how a person can know they were saved, it'd be, uh, b- b- well, um, um, well, don't you come to church so you can know that you have eternal life? Well, I, I mean, we kind of hope so, but, you know, that's for the preachers. No, it's not for the preachers. It's for every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a personal responsibility to know this book and know the God of this book. Because there are people that you will meet in this life that will only listen to you give them the gospel. I have often, and I still make the the offer at any time, you have some friend, you have a family member that would like to... Uh, know what the Bible says, I'm willing to come over any time of the day or night that it is possible and open up the Bible and talk to them, but here's what happens most of the time. I could have my pastor come and talk to your pastor. Uh, I'm, I'm not ready to handle him. Why don't you talk to me? People are scared of the preacher. I'm a nice guy, honest. You don't need to be scared. But let me tell you what I want to do as long as God gives me breath. I want to speak His Word with boldness. I'm not afraid of the Bible. And I'm not afraid of any challenge that any person wants to bring against this Word. I challenge you, bring bring me your best arguments, please. And I promise you, I can give you an answer out of this book. Because this is where they are. Amen? How many of you could use a little more grace in your life? Would you read down with me here? Verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which they possessed was his own, but they had all things in common... And great power, gave, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now look at the last phrase, verse 33. And great grace was upon them all. Do you think you'd be so worried about politics if great grace was upon your life? I'll tell you, we wouldn't be. That's the answer. We need great grace. But where are you going to get it? You're going to get it by understanding that what is going on in this world is the fulfillment of the words of this book. But you have to pick which side of that fulfillment you're going to be on. And if you ask God to put you on the right side, He will. And He will give you boldness in these last days to testify of Him. And He will give you great grace.
and He will supply your needs. Look what it says there in verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked. Now, I'm not preaching prosperity gospel. Don't get me confused with Benny Hinn and John Avanzini and any of these other guys. I don't even know the names of the guys that are doing it today. I don't want to. Because what I want us to understand is it's God that takes care of our needs. If you think you can take care of what God is not going to take care of, you're in big trouble, my friend. Don't try to straighten out your problems and then bring a good life to God. Not going to happen. You bring your life just as it is to God and He'll straighten it out. He is the one that supplies our needs. He is the one that gives us what we need. And when it's all said and when it's all done, God is the one that gets the glory. Why? Well, it's very simple. You know what they said about the apostles? How could those ignorant, unlearned men do what they're doing? How could they confound us in open debate? It says they took notice that they had been with Jesus. Amen. Jesus had told them, said, don't think about what you're going to say when you're called into question by the world. He said, I'll give you the Holy Ghost and he'll answer for you. History is full of the testimony of believers in Christ who have confounded the wisest people of their age because the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. But you know what? The wisdom of God is also foolishness with this world. You've got to decide which side you're going to be on. I want my life to come down on the side of those that willingly bring glory to God. You know how I do that? I have to admit, I'm a sinful human being. Anything good in my life is there because of the goodness of God, not the goodness of me. Forgiveness is something that I get from God. And I'm able to share it with others. Amen. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from you. It comes from Jesus Christ. Love. True love. I go back to God and He gives it to me and I'm able to share it with the world in which I live. Truth. Uh, guess what? I, I go to God and I get it. And I'm able to share it with the world in which I live. Just one little story and we'll be done this morning. About the turn of the last century, <clears throat> there is a great atheist... That's an oxymoron. But anyway, a well-known atheist, let's put it that way. There's no such thing as a great atheist. But he would travel the country giving these speeches, and people would come and listen to him blaspheme God. And he was out, I believe the story supposedly happened in Chicago. 
uh, in the late 1800s, and he was standing on a street corner proclaiming the goodness of atheism and the stupidity of God. And he said, do I have any takers from the crowd? And an old man stepped up. And he said, sir, he said, I cannot answer all of your arguments for I'm not a learned man. He said, but this is one question I have for you. He said, can you show me one man that your doctrine has reformed? One drunkard who by listening to you became a good father and a good husband and began bringing his salary home instead of leaving it at the bar on payday. He said, sir, could you show me one man who was overcome by the vices of this life and was living a life that we would all say was wicked and evil and debased. And because he followed you and listened to you, he became an upright and an example citizen. He said, sir, if you can produce one, which I doubt you can, he said, I'll bring you a thousand that have done so by just simply believing the words of this book called the Bible. You see, you're going to fulfill prophecy. The Bible tells us there will be those that believe and there will be those that scoff and mock. The Bible says there are going to be those that will enter into life and those that will enter into eternal death. The choice is made while you're living. In some truth, the choice is made a little bit every day. But there will come one point in each life where you will make a final choice as to accept God or to reject Him. My plea for you on this Resurrection Sunday is that today would be the day that you would accept the resurrected Lord, as your Lord and your Savior. That you would simply submit your life to Him. The other choice is to say, I'm going to live my own way. I'm going to live my own self. I, I want, I'm not trying to be ridiculous this morning, but I want you to understand that's how Judas Iscariot started out. That's how the scribes and the Pharisees started out. That's what Pontius Pilate and the Roman soldiers were trying to do. They just wanted to get through another day. They didn't know this one was going to be that bad. But you know, as far as they were concerned, everything got back to normal pretty quickly after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But things changed forever for those disciples now, didn't they? And if I could wish anything for every person in this auditorium this morning, it is simply that. You would have a living relationship with the living God. And that you join us here and serve Him till He comes. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning.
And Lord, in reality, the greatest and most important part of our service, the time when we can worship you the most is right now. Lord, when we can surrender our hearts and lives to you, we ask that you would work in each soul here today, that you would help us to understand our need for the Savior. He walked down Calvary's road naked in shame for us. And yet sometimes we can't find the strength to walk down a church aisle and just simply tell a group of people who would rejoice at the knowledge of our willingness to believe in the Savior. We ask that today we would have true worship in each heart and life. That there would be a surrender of ourselves to you. Those that sit here among us and are not saved, that today would be the day that they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and lay aside their sins and their, their ideals and completely surrender to the Savior. Lord, we pray for those that are saved and are struggling with life, that today would be the day that they would just realize that what is going on is the fulfillment of God's prophecy. This world can do nothing but obey the Bible. But Lord, we pray that we would be on the right side of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. I love this hymn.